were listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Our passage this morning is in the book of Psalms. We're going to be in chapter 119, and we'll be taking a look at verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand, and we will bring one to you. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that copy. It is our gift to you. Again, we're in the book of Psalm, Psalms, uh, book 119, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. As you can tell, I feel spectacular. If you're new with us this morning, uh, just a little, a little bit about me. I, I, about eight years ago, suffered a traumatic brain injury. About three years ago, suffered another one. And along the way, I've suffered little ones. And so I'm reaping those rewards right now. But God's going to do something amazing this morning. Amen, right? Because his word's alive. And I love it that as we, we just sung, Kelsey just sung, sang, whatever's the right word. It is well with my soul. I love it as I was sitting back there in front of Jim and Kim, uh, Sarah Lillard's parents. They're amazing. Get to know them. Just praying as I was praying for them. Sarah's not able to make it this morning. But I, but I just love it that we can all say it is well with our soul and that there's no prerequisite for physical health. To say it as well with my soul. So I'm grateful. I'm glad you're here this morning. God's got a powerful word for each one of us. I'm also excited for another reason. I believe we are heading into a historic time for our church. And I know I use that word just one other time. But the reason why I say, you guys are here. Yes. Anyways. It's good to see you. Uh, the reason why I say it's a historic time for our church is, is because, because we're going to get into the scriptures and we're going to talk about what is our aim. Why are you here? Over the next six weeks, we're going to lay out what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. You have no other purpose. A disciple who makes disciples in their home, in their neighborhood, and to the nations for the glory of God. And so I'm excited over the next six weeks. Why? Not because this is a new topic for us as a church, but I just get very excited about the very fact that, that a bunch of us are reading this book called Discipling, that we're praying the same prayers, that we're reading the same passages, and that as we sit under the preached word, we're all going to leave with this holy zeal. And we're going to parent differently. We're going to interact with each other differently. We're going to engage the homeless differently. We're going to take the gospel to the nations differently. 
over the course of six weeks. I don't mean all that being accomplished. We're just going to begin the conversation. So I'm excited. Second thing, I'd ask this morning, please take notes. Please take notes. I believe many of you have a, a strong intellectual prowess. But I would ask that you take notes. Why? Because I really believe that the Spirit is going to use a phrase out of His Word or a phrase that falls out of my mouth that honors Him to potentially change your life. And I say that with confidence because it's changed mine. And so I'd ask that you just take notes. I'm going to try to be succinct. I'm going to try to be succinct. Is that me? Let us pray for the preaching of God's word. And you guys, let's have fun. For your name and your glory, we have breath. And all as a church we say, amen. Beloved, we will be in Psalm 119, verses 1 through 6. Nope, verses 1 through 8. I will be focusing in on verse 6. If you would, please open your Bibles. And I know eye contact is a big thing, but I'm totally fine if you don't engage in any eye contact with me. I would love for you to drown in the securing power that is Scripture. And so we're going to go through it. And I'm going to start off, I'm going to go big, and then I'm going to wean down and get specific. So this first part's going to be outlining the verses that are around verse 6, and then I'm going to zero in on shame. I'm going to zero in on shame, and I'm going to talk about what is shame? Describe it. And then how we as the church can deal with it. Individually and, Lord willing, collectively. So let us look, please, if you would, look at the scriptures with me. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my way may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then, is that me? This doesn't count against my sermon time. It doesn't. I get, I get back, I get a minute back. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> All the kids volunteers are like, no. <laughs> I love it. They're engaged. Great. Oh, that my way may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then, then I will not be put to shame. When will we not be put to shame? Having our, my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. I will learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. To summarize, church, verses 1 through 5, happiness for a Christ follower 
happiness is a result of holy habits done habitually. For the Christ follower, happiness. Where do I get this from? The first two verses say blessed. Another way to say that is happy. And then just even in the first verse, it says, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blameless means holy. And then it goes, who walk in the law of the Lord. As we know, when we go for a walk, it's not just one step, it's multiple steps. And so, for a Christ follower, happiness is a result of holy habits done habitually. Enjoy spending time with the Holy Spirit and scriptures this week around that verse. And then as we look bypassing verse 6 for just a sec, I promise we'll get back there. We get into verse 7 and 8. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do you hear the psalmist in that? I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Here's a summary. And this summary has deeply ministered to my soul this week, and I, I really do pray. It, this could be the reason why you're here this morning and bypass all the rest of the sermon. But just is, is here's just a very practical. To forget God's word is to functionally feel forsaken. To forget God's word is to functionally feel forsaken. Why? Because as I prayed, it is in Scripture that we come to understand who this glorious God is that we know. It is in Scripture that we come to understand how much He loves us. It is in Scripture that we come to understand who we really are. And so when we forget God's Word, it's to functionally feel forsaken. I got time for just one cool story. I was hanging out recently, uh, a little while ago, at a cafe, and I always have my Bible open. This was at Earth Fair before it got closed. Thank you all for praying for me. I love that place. Anyways, was working at Earth Fair. A girl, I had been there for about eight hours. A girl just kept walking by, and at first I was like, Lord, I, I, she seems to be a little mentally disturbed. Oh, Lord, would you, would you allow time for me to just engage her a little bit? Or should I buy her something? She works here, so I guess she gets a discount. Anyways. So then she's walking by, and by the end of the day, of course, my time management was off by the end of the day. I was late for a date quality time with my bride to get home for dinner and so on and so forth. Well, sure, shooting. You know, sharing your faith is never convenient, right? You know? She walks by, and she goes, what's that? And it was my Bible on the table. And I said, oh, it's, it's a Bible. And she goes, what's that? And I said, well, there's a lot of ways I could describe it to you, but I got to go spend time with my wife. So let me just leave you with this and I'll be back tomorrow. It's God's love letter to you. To forget God's word is to functionally 
feel forsaken. You're not really forsaken, but you feel like you are. He loves you. And the only way for you to really believe that and to live by faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Okay. Now, those are just cursory comments. Let's dive into verse 6 here. Then I, verse 6, then I shall not be put to shame. Then I shall not be put to shame. Why do I feel led to preach on shame this morning? Because there is a happiness that is to describe Christ's followers that is not shaped by the happenings of this world. But it transcends those things. There is a happiness, there is a joy that should describe us. In the midst of suffering, (laughs) in the midst of success, and anywhere in between. So I began asking myself, what, what robs us of that joy? And man, oh man, I wasn't able to pray very long for you before I had to get smacked up with my own stuff. What has robbed me of joy? I've, I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years. 18 of those I've been trying to make disciples. 15 of those I've been trying to make disciples in amongst those who are really in desperate situations. So in my own life and and the lives of people that I've interacted with over the years, I, I just see shame. Robbing them of the joy, hear me. Robbing them of the joy that is already theirs in Christ. Blessed. See? Just the E-D, past tense. Blessed. So what is shame? Just a quick definition. Shame is the feeling, the emotional response that occurs within us when we don't deal with guilt in a way that honors the Lord. Or to state it another way, guilt is our objective reality before God when we sin. When we sin, we stand before God guilty. Sin isn't just missing the mark. I don't even like that. I mean, it's, it is what it is. But it's so much more. It's cosmic treason. It's having an affair on the only one that has ever loved you perfectly. And so guilt is a glorious gift from God. Please write that down. Guilt is a gift from God. Why? Because it is so devastating. It is so capturing. When it comes into you, it comes into you. And it's oftentimes trying to arrest you. It's trying to capture your attention. And so we as Christ followers have one of two ways to deal with guilt. Imagine this is my heart, biblically speaking, where our inner person is, where our will is, where our desires are, where our delights are, (laughs) where our worship factory is, where the core of who we are is. So not just emotions. The gift of guilt comes in. 
I, as a Christ follower, can respond in one of two ways. This way, with sorrow that leads to repentance. Sorrow that leads to repentance or when I choose not to repent. It goes this way into shame. So shame is the emotional response. Two sides of the same coin. And so beloved, as we interact with each other, one of the ways that we can care for each other is, oh, you may be guilty before the Lord because you did that or this. Oh, but you don't have to be ravaged by shame. Oh, what? Has that guilt led to a godly grief? And so that's how we define it. So what is godly grief? It is Godly grief, forgive me, guilt is a gift from God. The objective reality is that we are guilty before God, and the subjective experience of that when we don't deal with it in a way that honors him is shame. And here's just a few ways I see shame manifesting itself in my life and in the lives of other people. This list could go on. This isn't an exhaustive list of how shame rears its ugly head in each one of our lives. But here are these are the major ones that I see. And I'll put them in two major categories and then a couple subcategories. If you would, please write it out. The first one is let's hide. It's the big one, hide. And then within that, shame starves the soul of love. Shame starves the soul of the love that it's longing for, the love that it is seeking. And so oftentimes when I meet with people who are given over to shame, they just feel empty. Like, like they can't ever get full. It's like they go to a buffet and they just keep eating and eating and eating. And they can just never feel satisfied. The second thing, shame separates us from God and others. Shame drives a wedge between what happens in the privacy of our own mind or the privacy of our own bedroom compared to our public image. And so shame overwhelms us, and so we, we separate ourselves from God, and we separate ourselves from other people. Third, Shame silences us. I don't know about you. When I am given over to shame, I, I notice I stop praying. And I also stop reaching out for help. You notice how the, well, I don't know about you, but when I get more filled with shame, my prayer requests kind of get more surfacy. So I still check the box off that I'm participating in community group, of course. But I'm actually not really letting you into the real me. Because I'm afraid if you get to know the real me, you'll reject me.
shape. I could go on, of course. And then the second major heading is hard work. And then within that, just some sub ones. Shame seeks self-atonement. Very simply, shame seeks to earn God's forgiveness. The forgiveness that is already ours in Christ. Well, Lord, you should forgive me. I was in the Word. Lord, you should forgive me. I went to church. Lord, you should forgive me. Did you see that I took that homeless man or woman to McDonald's? All wonderful things, of course. But not if we're doing them to say, Lord, of course you should forgive me. Self-entitlement. Shame, Sec uh, fifthly, shame seeks self-exaltation. Shame lulls us into believing. If they find out the real me, they're going to reject me. And so if I exalt myself, then I, then I put forward this good image of myself, and I put forward such this good image of myself, of course they would then think, well, he's doing these things. Well, he, then he must be godly. It's one who, who sees himself as being self-righteous. You can tell you've slipped into that. when you begin to spend more time looking at the plank in someone else's eye and all you see is a speck in yours, which is a reverse of the scriptures, first remove the plank from your own eye so you can see a speck in a brother or sister. Under this self-exaltation, self-righteousness, you, you begin to compare yourself to others. At least I do. That's been one of the biggest detriments of me getting into crisis discipleship. Satan whispers in my ear, you're not as bad as they are. That's a holy lie. When I say it's a holy lie, I mean, that's set apart. That's not the truth. That is an absolute and utter lie. And self-righteousness we, we can fall into is it's fine, or we begin to ascribe to people a motive Oh, they did it because of this. Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? Now hear me in this, please. This may be helpful. I'm not saying don't acknowledge that there could be a motive that's questionable. But don't ascribe it. So there's a self-exaltation, there's a self-righteousness, but, but in that, those who are given over to shame privately, are oftentimes the biggest shamers. 
They will be the people that will cast the biggest shame on someone else. And this is a church. Hear me. You as a shame-filled person, hopefully experiencing the deliverance that is yours in Christ and growing in that, but if you are given over to shame, you are welcome to come in. Absolutely. Come one, come all. But if you are someone that has made it your job to be a shamer, where you think it is your job to condemn another person, who are you? This will be a very uncomfortable church for you to be in. Because we will be a church that will not shame each other. There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are you to condemn me for what Christ has crucified? Correct me, sure. Come alongside me and help me grow in it, sure. Ha-ha. But you better not come at me condemning me. And I better not. I surely better not come at you. You can slip into that. As one who's given over to shame, you can slip into shaming others. When all you do, at least I've noticed this in my own life, when all you do is when you think about someone else is you see them as a project. Or all you do is when you think about them, all you see them for is their sin and their struggles. We've all been there. Every one of us just falls in and out of that. But the reason why I went into this level of an in-depthness to it is so that when we repent, we can repent accurately. And then the last one that I've just seen in my own life, and I need you to hear this with a disclaimer, I am not saying your sleeplessness, your suffering, or your struggles are because of your sin. With that being said, shame leads to struggles with sleeplessness and sickness. And I just get that out of Psalm 32, uh, 3, and 4. I'll just look there real quick because I. Psalm 32, 3, and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. This became clear in my life. Why did I just shut my Bible? Well, we'll go with it. This became clear in my own life when a number of years ago, I unintentionally was shaming my wife at home. And I came to her and I just said, I feel like you don't come to me, honestly. And I said, why is that? She then left and said, I don't know. And I said, then I must pray. Lord, you got to tell me. The very woman that you have given me to love and to represent you, I am tarn I'm hurting. God was so very kind. How great it is that we worship a God that speaks to us. Amen? That we worship a God that speaks, that he hasn't called us to righteousness, that good luck. Deuces. 
I began praying, and this is where I got the statement. And I came to her and I said, when you come to me, do you think you're going to get condescension and correction? Or counsel and correction? Or uh, counsel and compassion? And she goes, I know you want this. But I get this. It was one of the most sobering days in my entire life. I, so it was neat to repent and to say, Lord, forgive me. And now to try to be stepping faithfully, I believe that was 12 years ago, and the pendulum has shifted a, a little bit closer where I'm more caring and compassionate and, and giving of counsel, not, not just stiff correction. So I've defined it, described it. <laughs> I know some of you are like, that's enough. <laughs> Let's be out. <laughs> now how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? How do we deal with the shame that we all experience? We all experience it. It just manifests itself differently in each one of us. And then before I move on, for those of you who grew up being bullied or abused and trauma, I was not abused physically growing up. I was bullied throughout all upper, upper elementary school into... Uh, Middle school. If you begin to do what I'm describing to you, it won't solve all of that. But it will begin to silence those voices that are still robbing you of joy in Christ. And I'd ask for you not, don't suffer alone. Reach out for help. Call me, text me. If I don't pursue you, it's not because of a lack of will nor want. It's just my ability to work. But I guarantee you, you will have my prayers at 2 a.m. when sleep seems to be fleeting. But begin doing these things that I'm about ready to dive into, and you, you'll start to silence those bullies of the past. It's worked for me, at least. So how do we deal with it? I'm not going to draw out. I'm not going to draw it out fully, but, but if you could think about it this way in a circle. This is something I do each morning, middle afternoon, because usually by that point I've committed enough sin that there's enough guilt that if I don't deal with it right away, I can't deal with tomorrow's stuff. And then I try to do it again before bed. So here's what it is, just real quick. Dig. Dig. Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel guilty? Now, this works for many other areas of life, too, but this is stick in the realm of, of shame for right now. Why do I feel this way? Dig. And at the bottom here, discover. I think we're really good at this first part. Where we dig and we discover. Okay, well, I did this or I did that. But, but what happens is oftentimes we oh, so overcome ourselves with shame because it's not of the Lord, we so overcome ourselves with shame that we get stuck right there. And when I ask you who you are, all you tell me about is your sin and your shortcomings. 
You get stuck there. And then you leave and you go on for the rest of your day. But then what ends up happening is it leads into being di- becoming discombobulated, distorted, discouraged, depressed, any other D word I can come up with. We stop there. Now, again, hear me in this. I'm not saying don't recognize those things. But dig. <laughs> Come on. Hit this right here. Dig. Discover. But then let us look at the rest of verse Psalm 119, verse 6. Then we will not be put to shame, having our eyes fixed on all the Lord's commandments. What we dwell on exerts an inescapable influence over our delights and desires and then of what we eventually do. What we dwell on exerts an inescapable influence over what we desire and delight in and then eventually do. So when I'm asking you to dwell, I'm saying, get past your desires and delights. Surely, that's it. Get past your actions. So here, don't dwell right here. Don't stop there. Come on, church, keep going. Disciple. Bring that, bring that loop back up. Disciple. Very simply, repent. Repent of whatever God is faithful in the gift of guilt. Whatever he is faithful to bring to your mind, repent. But I ask you to do this. Repent, realizing who it is you're repenting to. It is the very one who has already forgiven you. It is the very one who already sent Jesus to the cross. It's the very one who sent Jesus to the cross. Did anybody else hear the voice? Okay, good, good, good. Oh, and you got to speak up. Like, I was like, did anybody else hear that? Okay. okay. When, one of the reasons why I love the doctrine of a particular atonement is because it's given me a profound comfort that when Jesus went to the cross, he goes, I'm dying for my boy, Edward. Repent, knowing that you are forgiven. But here's what I want you to do in that. Repent and realize how glorious this God is. And so here's what I want you to do. If you just remember with me for but a moment, Genesis 3. You see, you fall in line of a great amount of people that were shamed and ashamed. Genesis 3, I won't read it right now. If you would, please read it later and read it over each other. Pray it for each other. If you remember... God and Adam and Eve experienced a union that we all long for, right? A union that is not hindered by sin. And God said, but I'm going to ask you to do, not do one thing. Well, surely. That's what Adam and Eve do. They go against what God commanded. And in Genesis 3, we see a, a wonderful articulation of how sin, sin is so complicated within us. Like, She saw it, and then she began to delight in it and desire it, and then she just goes, I'm going to eat it. Well, then, of course, as we all know, sin never stays compartmentalized. We always bring other people into our sin. 
Always. The sins that you do in private, they're never really in private. Don't be deceived. And so then, then they realize that. They realize they're naked. And I love that word naked. Not a, not little boy-wise. But like I love that word naked because it means exposed. It means vulnerable. And so what do they do? I have sin. I'm exposed. I'm vulnerable. We've all been there, right? At community group, when we start opening up, and we're like, oh, I'm about to get crushed. Right? We've all been there. And what do they do? They ran. And they, they self-atoned. They killed an innocent animal to clothe themselves so they would not be ashamed. So they, they worked hard, self-atonement. That's where I got that. But then the other thing that they did is they hid. They hid from God. Please hear me, church. Do you remember how God responded? He didn't respond how some of us respond to each other, how some of us respond to our kids, how some of us respond even to our own selves. How dare you? How could you ever do this? I've given you one thing that I've told you not to do and you did it. How dare you? But hear me on this. Be careful, church, when you tell someone to go read God's word or to go be like Christ until you know who it is the God you're asking them to read his word. Until you know it is who they, what they believe about the God who wrote the Bible. And also, as I meet with sisters in this church, well, everybody, but particularly two sisters come to my mind right now. Don't worry, won't come out. I've asked, what's caused you the most frustration? People just keep telling me to be in God's word. People just keep telling me to conform to Christ. Look at what Jesus did. Oh, that's frustrating, huh? And you guys, they just went like, yeah, that's really frustrating. I said, yeah, but shouldn't it give us the most hope also? So you feel guilty about that. You feel guilty about your guilt. on top. Yes. How do you view Christ? See, that matters. How do you view Christ? Oh, he's like my dad. Who said he would forgive me, but then as soon as I did something else wrong again, he just would bring it all back up and hammer me. Or, he's there in the corner, and his arms are crossed, and he's just shaking his head. Hear me on this church. God didn't say, where are you? He didn't, I mean, so he didn't say, how dare you? He said, where are you? Where are you, Adam and Eve? Where are you? He came looking for them. He noticed that something had occurred in their relationship that caused a degree of separation, that caused a degree where they felt like they had to hide, that caused a degree where they felt like they had to cover themselves. He said, where are you? I miss you. 
and he didn't wait for them to get out of hiding. He met them right there. Can you think about it? You're there hiding, trembling. We've all been there in different ways. Where somebody just comes and says, I got this. I got this. Let's do this together. He didn't say, how dare you? He said, where are you? Where are you? And so as we prepare for communion, what I'd ask you to do is say, Lord, thank you for the gift of guilt. It really is a glorious gift. And whatever the Spirit so faithfully brings to mind, do not respond in shame, but in godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to a rejoicing in who Christ is because it is in forgiveness and that fresh experience of forgiveness that we realize even more our redemption in Christ, our reconciliation in Christ. We realize how loved we are. And so as we come up and take communion, I, oh my goodness, his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. If you're a guest with us here this morning and, and you are given over to shame as I've been talking about sin, I would just ask you to do what somebody told me to do 20 years ago. Just say sorry. And if you feel comfortable, come talk to me. I'm a pretty nice guy. I can be a jerk at times. My wife says she stole from Mark Dever's wife. He's always confident, sometimes right. <laughs> Justin and I would love to talk to you. Don't, don't suffer in silence and shame. Please. But I, what I'd ask you to do is, is, is just hang in your seat. And as people walk by, just know that they're not walking by for some religious ritual. They're not walking by to check some box off to say, well, I hope this makes me a little bit more right with God. No, no, no. <laughs> You'll see them. They're coming up here, and there'll be like these smiles beaming from their faces. And what it is is they're, oh, I'm saved. <laughs> I'm loved. I'm forgiven. They're, they're, they're digging. They've discovered. They've repented. And they've realized yet again who it is that they worship. And then the last piece of the circle, and then I'll be done. Deliverance. You are delivered. Why do we need to keep doing that over and over again? So that you realize it. Every moment of every day. Love you all dearly. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you're doing in each one of our lives. By the power of your spirit now, would you please bring to mind something, Father, that we are, are guilty of before you. And thank you for the gift of guilt. Lord, help us to see it as something where, where to bring us to grief because we've sinned against you, the very one who has always loved us purely. Thank you that your motives are never mixed. Thank you for your never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.